Hey you heroes! Welcome to Marvel Champions Monthly, a fan cast about the card game Marvel Champions by Fantasy Flight Games. Thanks for joining us as we complete heroic deeds and thaw the villain's evil schemes. Hey everybody, welcome to Marvel Champions Monthly, a fan podcast about our favorite card game, Marvel Champions. We've got a really special episode today. I'm joined with Darren from the Marvel Champions subreddit. How's it going, Darren? Oh, it's going pretty well. Just enjoyed a lovely 4th of July holiday. Yeah. Geared up and ready to go. Well, we'll have fireworks in today's episode too, because I think we're doing something pretty cool, right? So, uh... Reddit often has these things called Ask Me Anythings. Um, and in lieu of one of those, what we're going to do is a sort of Reddit Ask Me Anything interview. We've got two really special hosts with us. We have Tony and Caleb from FFG. So how's it going, Caleb? Pretty good. Happy to be here. We're stoked to have you here. And we've got Tony, who's designing the, the wave that's being spoiled right now, right? The uh, next evolution wave. How's it going? That's right, yeah. So Darren did a lot of the legwork for this episode and gathered a bunch of questions from different fans of the card game all over Reddit. And we're going to give him the chance to ask you a bunch of those questions, and I'll try to help along the way. But this is really an episode sort of special for everybody, but really special for that Reddit community that's been like thriving and growing around this awesome game. So um, to kick things off, Darren, did you want to ask any icebreaker questions or anything like that? Ooh. Man, good question. Uh, so we were just, before we hopped on, we were just talking about uh, Idaho, because that's where I went for my vacation. So maybe just a light icebreaker is, I don't know, where, if you're just going anywhere for vacation, where would you, uh, where would you go? Well, that's so funny that you're asking that, because I am honestly, uh, I'm stuck with that question. In real life at the moment, I've, I've got my sabbatical coming up uh, at the end of this summer. Uh, for people who don't know, FFG employees who have been at the studio for 10 years uh, earn a one-month paid sabbatical. And I'm, I'm cashing in. Um, so my wife and I were trying to figure out uh, where to go. Um, and I'm kind of eyeballing like Seattle right now, the Emerald City. With uh, I'm a big uh, big fan of the music that came from uh, Seattle in the '90s, and I like uh, I like nature, so that's that's near the top of my list. Seattle is great. Uh, I visited there. It's probably been like a decade now, but I loved it out there. Oh, what's the what's the yeah, number one thing to do in Seattle? Oh. I was out there for work, and so <laughs> I okay. think for me, what I loved doing was just hitting up the coast. I, it's way oh. colder than anything on the east, but it was still just awesome. Um, popping out to go see the coast, and then in Seattle itself, just grabbing so much good food. Awesome. Taking a ferry ride is another good one. Oh, you've been out there, Tony? Yeah, I've been out there some number of years ago, just uh, on a short trip. It was a lot of, well, it's a cool place. I'll, I'll have to talk with you more later then, since we're talking Marvel yeah. Champions and not Seattle today. <laughs> yeah. 
for me, uh, something, something that probably people don't know about me is that my wife and I are something of globetrotters. Uh, last year, we managed to hit the final continent that we hadn't visited. And so now we've been to every continent on the globe. So it's it's left us with a little bit of a question of what do we do now, now that we've achieved this goal. So um, we have plans to go to Costa Rica next year. And after that, we don't really know. The moon, Tony. Go to the moon. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I wish. I would love that. Heck, I'd even enjoy going up in orbit. There you go. But unfortunately, I don't have a billion-dollar company. <laughs> Oh man. How about you, Dan? That's a good question. I would probably so I studied abroad for a year in Japan with like a homestay family in high school. So I'd probably go back and visit my homestay family in Japan because I've gone a couple times and every time we go we tend to meet up, but it's you know once a decade trip. So it's been ten years. It's about time now. Oh man. I uh was like raised on Japanese curry. And I have mm. always wanted to go out to Japan and just have like authentic Japanese food. Next interview we'll do there. Perfect. Nice. Well, with a uh, little icebreaker out of the way, um, why don't to kick things off? Uh, we'll get started on our questions. And there were a lot of, well, first I'll say there were a lot of similar questions. So I combined a bunch from the Reddit post, uh, try and consolidate things. But there were a lot of people who were asking, you know, where is X hero or Y villain? And I know you guys can't share specifics on unannounced products, but with such a like vast pool of popular heroes and teams in the Marvel Universe, what does the process look like to actually pick which teams and heroes are used and when? Uh, well, we have uh, a document that, uh, that I started working on like pretty much as soon as uh, we started working on the line. And it's it's a multi-year plan that sort of outlines where we'd like to go. Now, with that, uh, it's it's sort of a living document as it's a living card game, and it's it's malleable and and um, and it has grown and changed quite a bit over the years. But uh, yeah, you know, the, the the answer I always give is uh, we hope that the game continues to be uh, as successful as it is, so that we can eventually get to everything. Nice. I know that's a, a big ask to get to everything because Marvel really is just like, I mean, their roster goes deep and mm -hmm. I'm sure it's an, you know impossible to get to everyone's favorite hero. But as long as, you know, the game keeps trucking, I'm excited to see what comes out. Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned having like a plan ahead of time. So how far ahead do you plan like what heroes are going to become characters and does the release schedule ever aim to line up with other Marvel properties, like you know, like crossover comics? Uh -huh. Or we've tried or that. Like that. We've tried that in the past, but it rarely ever works out because we don't have a ton of insider knowledge to what you know Marvel is doing. Uh, the MCU they like to keep things pretty tight. You know, they don't like uh, a lot of leaks, so they're not sharing a ton of that information. And so we tend to learn about what's upcoming at the same time as everyone else. And due to the nature of our development process and the inevitable 
delays that spring up throughout that process, trying to line things up like that is just very difficult. So instead, we tend to just look at uh, what we're excited about and what we think um, players will be excited about and uh, come up with an order that, that makes a lot of sense to us. Nice. Yeah, my, Caleb my... has had a, uh, a great track record of kind of predicting where Marvel's going to go with things without any insider information. And so uh, a number of our releases seem like we knew what was coming when in actuality we didn't. Uh, I was going to say my uh, intro to the game was a bit serendipitous because I had literally got done watching WandaVision and then went over to the game shop and there was the newly released Scarlet Witch pack the same day as the last episode of WandaVision. <laughs> so I was certain you guys were like in on everything. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, but that's when I started the game and uh, it was a great intro to it. Oh, that's that's cool to hear. Yeah, we, we have uh, we've gotten lucky a few times, kind of like Tony said, you know, I'm I'm pretty current with the with the books i, I kind of know what characters are popular so like you know we put she hulk in the core set i did not know at the time she was eventually going to get her own show i just knew that she hulk was a mainstay of the comics and a really fun character similarly we put miss marvel in that first wave of avengers heroes um had no idea she'd be getting her own show eventually just again knew that she's a really popular character in the comic books that's really cool to kind of get that perspective. You've gotten good at guessing. So, well, like knowing how you kind of look ahead to plan product, uh, do you have any plans to revisit or rework the existing content through like alternate versions of cards, print and play or rat or anything? I know we have like 38 expansions now since the core. Um, no, I, I don't know that we have any to to go backwards i feel like the game's very uh forward looking like i think we mentioned earlier yeah, go ahead tony sorry oh go ahead i was just gonna say like uh like we just mentioned there's there's a lot of characters we're still trying to get to you know a lot of really popular characters fan favorites and so uh, our focus for the most part is is on getting to those characters yeah, and to that point, a lot of Marvel characters have very similar power sets. And so every time we do a new character who has similar powers to one we've done in the past, it kind of gives us that opportunity to to take a new approach to that power set and figure out a different way to represent it in the game. I think you guys have nailed that. Uh, because that's a, like really interesting to see that approach, because like... We have a lot of heroes, like, you know, starting with Iron Man in the core and running through all those suit building type characters. And they've all been mm -hmm. very unique between, you know, Iron Man, War Machine, Iron Heart, and Spider. And it's just, it's really cool to see the different approaches to similar power sets. Cool. Yeah. Numerous Spider people as well. Mm -hmm. It helps to have multiple designers on the line because uh, I, I think. There's already uh, sort of a built-in difference there that uh, Tony, Boggs, and I are likely to design the same character three different ways, you know. And, uh, mm -hmm. and then MJ came and guest designed for us on Spider. That was a real treat, too. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it helps that each character is really well-defined in the lore and then also having uh, different talent available at the studio. 
Nice. So speaking of like revisiting old work, if there was a change you could make to like an existing hero's kit or an aspect, what what hero or aspect would you make changes to and why? Or or what would you make? Uh that's a tough question for me to answer. Um because I think in reality we put so much thought and time and effort into everything that we do from the vision step to the design to the play testing and all the finishing touches that I'm really proud of everything we've done, which, which is not to say that it couldn't be better. Um, Cause obviously I'm not a perfect designer. Things could always be improved, but uh, in general, I don't like to, to, to dwell on that. You know, I, I like to think like we, we put a hundred percent into everything we do. We haven't ever phoned in a single hero pack, a single scenario, like everything that we do, we're really invested in it. So um, in general, I'm just really happy with the, with the game. And um, yeah, I, I, again, I'm sure there's things that if I thought about it, I could think like, yeah, I might do that different now, but I don't personally care to dwell on that. Yeah, and occasionally we will put out a, an aspect card or something that might help a particular subset of heroes that we feel could use a little bit of a buff. Uh, I know the the spider pack came with a number of those that target heroes with high health pools uh, who also tend to have lower hand size. And so I think doing things that way is probably our preferred way of of uh, trying to give older heroes a bit of a, a bit of a yeah game. absolutely that's that's the beauty of a living card game right is that as the game matures you can see okay this hero that we were really happy with at the time feels like they're underperforming now compared to other heroes what can we introduce into the card pool now that might um you know help bring them up to up to par um and I, yeah i think tony nailed it with that answer that's a really fun way to do it i, I think it's moving from positive to positive rather than like you know, going, oh boy, we really dropped the ball or something, um, and then lamenting it. I think instead it's just staying focused on positive and saying, well, how can we take this thing that we were really excited about that felt like it came up a little short and then bring it back to where we wanted it to be um, without moving backwards, so to speak. So anyway, I don't know. Maybe it sounds like a lot of like political, like, you know, trying to put a spin on it or something. I'm sorry if it does. I genuinely mean it. I, I really like moving forward with this game. Um, and, and I hope players continue to join us for the ride because it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I, I love it because uh, the cards that you mentioned to buff the higher health heroes, Thor has been one of my favorites through the game. And he is a lot more of a build hero. And so it's great seeing some of the new scenarios introduce new keywords and stuff. These new aspect cards come in and give him a place to start, you know, stay level with everything. Uh, I've really enjoyed the way that that's been handled. But with the changes like that, so that kind of, you're using these aspect cards and new packs to help heroes. Uh, but we did also see some of our first non-technical errata changes two aspect cards with uh, rules reference guide 1.5 that was just released uh, so like cosmo and gopher champions got errated for power or how they're limiting the design space are there plans to errata more heavily um in the future oh i hope not <laughs> no 
I, I don't think so. Uh, both Caleb and I are of the opinion that errata are are very uh, rare occasions. occasions. Um, we really will only look at hitting something with an errata if we feel like it's just completely warping the, the play of the game. Um, I, I, speaking for myself, I, I feel like given that this is a cooperative game, there's no head-to-head play, there's no tournaments that we have to worry about balancing for. Players can choose to, to use cards they think are overpowered or choose not to use them. Um, it's just when something like Cosmo uh, really limits what we can do with our design or something like Go for Champions just trivializes the game that we feel like we need to make some kind of change. Okay. That seems pretty fair. I think that's that's a good way to go, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, one of the things that the communities really liked were like the prints and play cards, whether they were the alternate resources or the, the Ronin modular set that came out early in the life of the game. Are there plans to do further print and play content or like alternate contents like that? Uh, I don't know that we have any plans. We uh, can well, share. We... Oh, go ahead, Tony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say we can't really talk about future plans. Um, but uh, I, we're aware of, of how popular like that Roman said are um and so it's always something we've got in the back of our minds yeah i i certainly thought that was a, a fun exercise I'd, I'd definitely like to do more so that one uh the ronin set i think if i remember right on other podcasts you've said that that was a pretty quick turnaround on that and that was in the middle of doing all the other design but since release uh there's been 39 products uh, in 44 months. So that's uh, since the game released. And on top of that, you did the Ronin modular set. And uh, Caleb, you did a whole other game <laughs> during that time. Is that, uh, is that like release schedule and like uh, the just the pressure from maintaining the release schedule and from the communities demanding new content? Is that something you guys have ever struggled with? We struggled a lot at first. At the at the beginning of the game, I, I think I might have talked about that in other places. Just that, uh, you know, it was Michael Boggs, Nate French, and myself that did the original design. So you had three people working on the line, and then Nate was uh, promoted to to senior game, or sorry, the executive game designer at FFG, and that left just me and Boggs on the line. And so what was a, a three person job was kind of being managed by two people, and we were still figuring out you know, the, the, the right uh, development rhythm of the game. And so at, at first it was, it was a lot to keep, keep up with. Boggs and I had a lot of talks about how we felt like kind of laying track for an oncoming train. But thankfully since then, you know, um, we've been able to update the release schedule, the development cycle. And uh, when Tony joined the team, that was kind of fun too because Tony came, uh, I think Tony's the very first person to join the card game team from the board game department. Pretty much everyone else who's ever joined the card game team was like a direct hire to the team. So Tony brought this interesting perspective of like, wow, this is an aggressive schedule. <laughs> and I think that helped people to yeah. kind of to kind of get it, you know, where 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 Boggs and I were saying it all along. But it was kind of like, you know, yeah, um, 
we know that's how you feel, but we're not sure. And then Tony comes in with this this different experience, and they're like, oh, oh, Tony's saying it too. Okay, <laughs> you know, like maybe there's maybe there's something here. Um, so it's been a, it's been good. It's been a good process of of getting it to a place now where I think we've settled into a really comfortable rhythm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and certainly there are periods of stress as you're coming up on deadlines and stuff. But working on this great this game is just great fun. Uh, I I still enjoy playing it, even having play tested it since the core set. Um, I, I love designing for it. I love working with my play testers to refine the the ideas. Um, and so, yeah, it's just a, a great feeling to be able to to work on this game and contribute to its mm-hmm. success. Yeah, the fun of the game is definitely what what uh, what gets you through when you when you're up against those deadlines and feeling a lot of pressure. It's just going, wow, this game is just uh, it's just a real treasure. So that that definitely helps. And I mean, the statistic you just put out is pretty, like, amazing, actually, right? Every other card game I've ever played always has these monthly release schedule plans, and there's gaps. And don't get me wrong, there's gaps in the Marvel schedule that's been released, and we've got this new dual-pack method that I really like. Um, But getting out almost a product, like, every month on average is, like, really, really hard to do. I don't think I've ever seen it happen as closely as it has to this before, so I think it's... It's oh. actually pretty cool. Maybe the marble yeah. demand is that much higher that the the pressure still really gets to you. But as far as from a customer end, I'm super happy with it so far. <laughs> well, that's great to hear. I, I do think that was a factor early on is that we really wanted Marvel Champions to be that game where we where we finally hit all those releases on time. You know that that there's it just seems like there's been one issue or another. That sort of plagues a lot of our releases, where we ha- we we start with all the best intentions, and then inevitably something comes up. So it, it just like everybody involved, including me and Boggs, you know, on the design side, we all wanted to get it done on time, you know, and and get that product out. So it's it's great to hear that uh, that people noticed that and it made a difference. All right, you talked about enjoyment in the game. The next question is about rules, and I'm the rulebook reader for my group, so I find rules <laughs> super fun. So how do you approach rulings when there is a card that functions differently, stricted as per rules, than was intended, maybe in testing or in design? Well, it really comes down to how, how differently it's working, um, and we make a judgment call about whether it's significantly different enough that we want to issue an errata for it or whether we're okay just ruling it as written and and allowing the card to be played that way. Um, We, I mean, we'll never, or we, I should say we try not to make rulings where you need to intuit what the intention of the card is. We want to try to stick as closely as we can to the way the card is written and the way it functions within the rules as they are written. Um, And so if we feel a card is being played significantly different than its intention and it's to the detriment of a scenario or a hero or something, 
that's when we will issue a, a technical errata to it to, to get it back into line with what we intended for it to do. I know that uh, there's in the Discord in particular, there's this there's whole channels dedicated to just like diving deep into the rules and digging through it. And so I know for a while there was a lot of rules answers that were just kind of floating and everyone was wondering how that impacted other cards and how you can interpret it. So I, I loved seeing 1.5 come out and just really solidify a lot of that and incorporate it into the actual rules. Uh, so that has been a joy since that released. Glad to hear that. Uh, we really put a lot of work into that. Um, our primary goal was just to codify a lot of rulings that we had started making since Alex Werner, our game's rule specialist, had joined our, our little team in answering rules questions. Um, and certainly there will be cases where we will potentially change our minds on an answer uh, based on some new information presented, but we, we try to uh, be as consistent as we can and, and not change answers as much as we can. Um, but if, if there's ever any question about whether a, a ruling stands, uh, I would say if it happened before the 1.5 update uh, or, or whatever the latest update is, there's maybe a chance that the update changed it. Um, but it, if the ruling has come out since the update dropped, then that ruling is probably still good. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, I know that uh, on Hall of Heroes, they he does a really good job about collecting all of the rules answers that people have gotten. Um, and so it's been nice having that kind of that hard line of like 1.5's out, here's all, everything codified, and then, you know, we get some updates. Although I am surprised, I met Alex at uh, Con of Heroes, and uh, I'm surprised she didn't quit within the first couple weeks <laughs> from all of us submitting questions. Uh, Alex yeah, is we, great. There was a huge backlog, and I think we've we've gone through every question that was submitted since Alex started looking at them. There are some questions that are years old that are probably no longer relevant, and I don't think we'll probably address them. But uh, if you if you submitted a question years ago and still haven't gotten an answer back, feel free to submit it again. Sounds good. I'm I'm glad that Alex was added to the team. That's been that was such a nice having that avenue reopened uh, to be able to ask those questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So uh, kind of changing direction a little bit there uh, from rulings to uh, art. Uh, and a lot of the art, pulls it pulls from a variety of sources. So like different comic runs or whatever. And I love it because it feels when you're playing like you're doing all these different comic books, like all the different styles. But uh, it does seem like most of the art in the game is pretty modern. Is there a particular reason that the game art in the game is so modern? Yeah, we want the the overall look of the game to feel cohesive. That's a, a huge part of what our art directors do is is make sure that uh, there can be a variety of art styles in the game, but uh, none of them should feel too jarring when sitting on the table next to each other. Um, so I, I do remember very early on there was a conversation in the studio uh, about, you know, we have access to this huge catalog of art, but um, it needs to be something, you know, uh, 
there needs to be some kind of guiding principle of what art we use because um like i'm a big comic reader and so uh i recognize that there are a lot of different art styles and and it is a visual medium so sometimes um art just doesn't appeal to somebody so there's like books that i was collecting that i was really into because i felt like the writer and the artist were just firing on all cylinders and then that artist was moved to a different book and they brought in a new artist and suddenly a very different style and i just quit the book because i didn't it's the same writer same characters the story was probably fine but i i just didn't like the art style and we don't want that to happen to the people playing our game you know where maybe they're really looking forward to a certain hero and then that hero comes out and has a totally different art style from everything else they've seen and and that can be very frustrating so in that conversation we had forever ago we basically chose like a point in time in marvel comics and we said and, you know, anything prior to this date, you know, we're not even going to consider because certain uh, production styles have changed, too. You know, we're like in the 90s when I started collecting. They used to actually draw everything on paper, you know, and, and Xerox copies off to the Marvel. And, of course, everything now is done digitally. And you can you can really tell the difference. Um, so that was a factor as well. Uh, at the end of the day, we just we have a really talented art department that... Uh, that's their job, right? Is to help us to maintain that visual style and that cohesiveness. Yeah, something I didn't really, I didn't really realize about comics until I joined the Marvel Champions team and started doing lots and lots of research, reading lots of back comics, is just how how noticeable the change in art style has been over the decades, which is, is to be under, is to be expected. Things change over time and, and tastes change as well. Uh, but like even going back to the nineties, when, when I was in high school and collecting comic books, um, it's just a, a real night and day difference. You can really tell something from the nineties when comparing it to something from the 2010s or later mm -hmm. and and so we we want to avoid cases where particular cards stick out uh in their art style significantly from from other ones that makes a lot of sense uh i know like my first introduction to comics came a lot later uh i was introduced to the uh, mcu first and so when i started reading comics uh, it was the Annihilation event for Guardians oh, of, of the so Galaxy. Good. And, oh, it is. It's wonderful. And But like the first time I saw Star-Lord, I was like, what? Mm -hmm. Like, that's not Star-Lord. And uh, so it's it was interesting to like see that process of how that art changed as I caught up in the comics. Um, but I have to say, it is always fun finding the, you know, Hawkeye in his old H costume mm -hmm. and everything occasionally in the art but I, I think as a whole the art has been uh really great it really hits that comic book feel good um so with that being said though because you, you talked about you know there's this overarching kind of vision for like you want the art to feel the same and everything like that uh is there like does marvel or disney have any like uh influence over that creative process or or is it like through the licensing agreement or directly through feedback or anything like that? Yeah, they're, they're the license holders. So everything that we do goes through an approvals process where they need to look at it and sign off on it and, and say they're happy with it. Um, so 
I think the art actually kind of gets reviewed twice at least because they get to see the art pieces individually um, before they're even on the cards um, so that they can approve the art. And then they'll see it again later when we submit the set with uh, the art on the cards and everything packaged as it will be printed. And they get to review it again at that point. So there might be more to it than that, but that's that's the part that I'm aware of. Nice. Okay. That's uh, cool. So do they have, uh, they just have like a pool of art that you guys can draw from that they've pre-approved and then you send in the uh, designed stuff and they approve it again in that form? Yeah, our art is a mix of commissioned pieces and what we call pickup. You know, so there there is a pool of art that we have access to through our uh, arrangement with Marvel. Uh, they're very gracious to to give us access to this, where we can search up comic books and and um, find art that we like from the books. And then there's a submission process where we can request the uh, the originals with no text on them, get high res files to to use in the in the game. And then there's the commissioned art where we actually write art briefs and we describe the image that we want to see and, and put it in context. And then we give that to our art directors who then hire the artist to, to draw it. And, uh, and then that goes through kind of a different approvals process, right? Because the stuff coming from Marvel is, is typically pre-approved, whereas the stuff that we're commissioning, that's something that they're going to want to see and sign off on. That makes sense. Um, so kind of uh, changing track again a little bit in terms of like the actual design of cards and of heroes, do you, you keep a list of like mechanics or assumptions in the game to track where you have room for innovation? Um, in terms of like, no, I don't think I do a list. Go ahead, Tony. Not really. Um, but Obviously, Caleb and I are, are well-versed in, in what has come before, uh, and we always try to play test together each other's stuff as much as possible so we know what each other is working on. That way we know where there might be potential for crossover, where there might be things that are a little too similar that we, that we will revisit in, in one wave or another. Um, but in terms of any, like, formal formal plan or, or bookkeeping not not really um i've i personally have some some files like a spreadsheet of card ideas that maybe didn't pan out or, or didn't make a good fit for a particular hero or something that i might revisit in the future um some some what i call slush designs or what the the studio calls slush designs which is basically things that we tried out and for one reason or another just didn't make it into a current product, but maybe it's waiting for uh, another product where it might make a better fit. Uh, there is that kind of stuff, but uh, other than that, nothing, nothing real formal. Yeah, I think the design process is always so uh, ground up, you know, with uh, we choose the characters we want, and then the characters themselves really inform the design. I think that's how you end up with with heroes who feel like the characters that they are in the books, right? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't have, like, a list of, of mechanics of, like, 
I really want to do a, a hero who does X or Y, and then we go through the characters and go, oh, that character kind of fits this mechanic. Like, I'm not saying you couldn't do it that way. I'm sure there's there's examples where you could and it would work brilliantly, but it feels to me much more natural to to choose the character I want to do and then say, okay, now how do I represent this character's power in the game? Yeah. I like that. That seems like it kind of wraps thematics a little more tightly when you're starting with the character itself versus mm-hmm. with a mechanic and putting a character on top of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of along those same lines, there are a lot of... Um, you know, there's reused mechanics like throughout the game, um, but there's also a lot of card traits that uh, show up. Like, there's a large list of traits now, uh, but there's a few of them that are largely limited to just one hero. Something like arrow with Hawkeye or technique with Nebula. Uh, are these tra- traits meant to be more singular in their use, or is there something like like are they considered when des- designing aspect cards? Uh, so the traits themselves are, are kind of dual purpose. One is for mechanics, but the other one's just for flavor. Um, so there's certain traits within the game that I think are very important to the game at large traits like, uh, Avenger, X-Men, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, where and then there's some traits like the ones you mentioned that are just uh they're much more narrow like arrow and technique um not all traits are are equal in terms of design consideration um but what is fun though about, about the traits is that you can do a trait initially that seems kind of innocuous like tactic you know and then later on release a hero like cyclops who suddenly cares about the tactic trait and that reinvigorates, you know, the card pool. And now people are going, oh, my gosh, I, I've been sleeping on all these cards. And they suddenly have great value. So, you know, like, who knows? Somewhere down the line, there could be another hero who cares about techniques or, um, or what's uh, preparation or something like that, right? Like any of these things that felt like previously. Yeah, previously they belonged to one character, but now there's another character who cares about them. Um, that's one of the fun things about you know, uh, working on a living card game like that. Nice. I, uh, I I have to say Black Widow is one of my favorite heroes of all time. So anytime you guys feel like releasing more preparations, I am for it. Mm-hmm. But uh, on that same note for traits, uh, when you're giving a character a trait, what kind of like considerations or limitations do you have on that? Because some seem to be more theme focused, like you were saying, more flavor based, something like Space Knight on Venom, while others seem to be missing. I'm sure you've heard plenty of, you know, why doesn't Spider-Man have the Web Warrior trait? Do you have any limitations mm-hmm. or considerations that you take in effect when you're putting those traits on there? Uh, the first real like serious limitation is just space you know, and bandwidth. You don't want to crowd the card with a hundred traits. Uh, cause the reality is if we were going to give Spider-Man, for example, every trait that he needed to be accurate to the comic book, there wouldn't be any room for, for card text. You know, it would, it would say <laughs> Avenger, Fantastic Four, Web Warrior, 
you know, with it genius, it would just go on and on and on all these things. So what's important to understand is that when we make a, a version of a hero, what you're really getting is, is like a, a snapshot of this hero. We're saying this, this is the point in time that we are looking at this hero. So the Spider-Man that we have is the Avenger Spider-Man. You know, it's not the Fantastic Four Spider-Man because, you know, real diehard fans of the comics will know that he was part of the, the, the FF for a while with the Future Foundation and all that. So, like, that would be a different version of Spider-Man or, or a Web Warrior Spider-Man. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's kind of a key thing there is that we are leaving room open, you know, to maybe, maybe one day we will do a, a Web Warrior Spider-Man. Can't say for sure. Uh, but in the meantime... We know it's important to people that he should be allowed to be a web warrior, so we made the uh, upgrade that you can play on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of a, a rule of thumb that I take with traits is uh, I try not to go above two at max three traits on a card mm-hmm. if, it, if it really has a mechanical reason to have that many, but otherwise I try to limit myself to one or two. Yeah. I think we've all done that. And I think it that's where the question comes up often, too, of like, I think when when Storm was announced or released, people were like, why doesn't Storm just have the aerial trait? Like, she can fly as a huge part of who she is, but it's like, well, she already has these other traits. And, and it gives us room then to to add text to cards in her kit, where I think if you put her cape on her, then she gains the aerial trait, you know? So that's, that's part of it, too, is remembering mm-hmm. that... Um, the hero card itself does not represent everything there is to know about that hero. You know, the kit is part of it. Yeah. The aspects are part of it. You know, that that's all intentional. So oh, with that, does any of this, this is off list question, so feel free to skip mm-hmm. over it. But I know like the upcoming, like angel, he doesn't have X-Men. Mm-hmm. Like he's just X-Factor. And is it like, does power level factor in when you're designing for excluding some traits? Well, so Tony designed that, but it, I, it can. I, I did want to say like, this is a perfect example of like kind of what I was saying about you're looking at a character at a period in time. You're just a slice of this character. So we know that angel is one of the founding members of the X-Men. So we absolutely could have put the X-Men trait on there, but the version of angel that you're getting in this pack is, is this slice in time that he was part of X-Force. So that's why he has the X-Force trait yeah. and not the X-Men trait. Though, again, the upgrade is out there that you can make him an X-Men if you want to. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, I was just going to say that certainly balance can be a factor when considering um, what what traits to give a character. But for the most part, we try to give them the trait that makes the most sense from a thematic standpoint and then balance around the fact that they have that trait. That's really cool to kind of like having that perspective, I think, helps a lot of that's just that little snapshot Uh, Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's rare. You know, he's not in both places at the same time. And I really like that perspective and the perspective of, you know, their hero card isn't receptive isn't rep- res- representing their entire hero because i know from lord of the rings a lot of that gets condensed to you know a single mm-hmm. card and mm-hmm. so 
it, it's a uh, you know kind of changing that mindset coming into Marvel for mm-hmm. thematics. Yeah. Um, so kind of on that note of uh, we were just talking about power a little bit and balance, but what would you say is the balance between going for like uh, a fun factor and like the actual design versus like the faithfulness to the character or gameplay mechanics how are you balancing all of those during the design well now i really want to hear tony's take on it because i know mine but i tony what what do you think sure i mean uh looking at the question uh it's interesting that this the question asker put a slash between fun factor and faithfulness uh and had gameplay mechanics separate because I think it really comes down to the player whether they find it more fun to have a more true to the comics faithful thematic experience or have a more satisfying uh, gameplay experience. Uh, and so it really is a balancing act that has to be struck between those two things. And ideally, we we find that spot where we're high on both of those metrics. Um, but it it really comes down to uh a judgment call what which one needs to be sacrificed uh if if a sacrifice is required um i i tend to start my designs like like Caleb mentioned uh from what what the the marvel comics have to say about the character and then build them up from there and design the mechanics around that so hopefully just the fact that we that i started on a thematic level and built up from there will help the character feel true to its its character through the game mechanics that I've come up with. Yeah, that's a great answer, Tony. I, I completely agree. Actually, I would say that our methods are are very nearly, if not exactly the same. That it it really does start with the character and what makes that character unique. So it starts on theme and you're trying to design something that feels very authentic. And obviously, you're trying to make it fun, you know. And once it gets to the playtesters, that's when we find out, okay, how much have we succeeded? And and eventually, yeah, you're just trying to balance it out. You know, if if there's something that's super thematic, but it's just not fun, then you're gonna, you know, you're gonna start to to work on making it more fun, um, and then you know, make sure that you don't lose the theme along the way. Yeah, as an example, uh, when I was working on the next evolution wave, uh, there was an early version of Psylocke that was testing really well with the players. They were really liking the way she played, but I kept hearing uh, feedback that she just doesn't feel like Psylocke. It's like, this is a fun character, but it's not a fun Psylocke character. And so I ended up uh, scrapping most of what that design was and going in a whole new direction that, that I thought would be more indicative, more capturing of the essence of what Psylocke was about. Oh, that's really cool to hear that uh, you have that back and forth with the um, with the testers to kind of get mm-hmm. that gauge of the thematics, not just how is it mechanically playing. Yeah, if I can just take a... Uh, yeah, I, I just yeah. want to take a second to brag on my coworkers, actually, because... Uh, I think I've been pretty outspoken about how I grew up on comics and like, this is just, you know, I don't, I don't need to look up the characters that we're doing for the most part. Cause I've been reading their books since I was 13, 
But, uh, you know, Tony and Boggs, are, they're definitely comic book fans, but maybe not as obsessive nerd fandom like me. So what I want to brag about these guys is uh, both of them, when they get assigned, you know, a batch of characters, you know, like X-Force, for example, with Tony, I know that he didn't know like a ton of X-Force at the start. So these guys, they just like, they read mm-hmm. everything. It's, it's really fun. It's great that there's, there's, there's time in our day and, and it's part of our job that we can do that too. But it, it was amazing. Like within the space of a couple of weeks, uh, Tony's coming back to me talking about all this insight he's gained and all, all about these characters. He's telling me stuff even I didn't know. Like, uh, for example, the character of Domino. Domino's a character I've been aware of since the 90s. You know, and I had my picture of her kind of from, you know, the Rob Liefeld days of, of the original X-Force run. Uh, and then Tony came back with like, hey, Domino actually had her own book. And in there, she she had this posse of characters, and um, and so like the vision for Domino changed as a result uh, from kind of my '90s Domino to a more updated Domino with with her posse, and that was really cool. And and so just the, it shows the commitment to the theme and how important it is to be authentic and true to these characters. That you know we don't just kind of like do a quick like wiki search. You know what I mean? Like. That you could do that. You could just like read like mm-hmm. the, the 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 back of like a DVD text and go like, oh, okay, I think I have an idea what this is about. But instead, you know, they're doing the deep dives. They're they're reading the books. I know Boggs, <laughs> he, he became a huge Miss Marvel fan. He like read her whole entire run when he started working on on that character. Um, so that's kind of fun to see. It seems like nine times out of ten, someone gets assigned a character they weren't familiar with before, and suddenly that's like their favorite character and they're reading all their books and excited to to do the design now. And and I think that's why it comes across in the in the hero packs when people get excited is because we're excited. Yeah, really I appreciate cool. you saying all that, Caleb. I, I do have one one exception I, I have to take with it, and that's that I I don't read everything because it's just there's not enough hours in the day, <laughs> enough days in the that's week true. to do that. These, a lot of these characters have been around for 60, 70 years, and, and it's impossible to get a full breadth of what the character has to offer. And and that's where it's great that we have all these playtesters who are so passionate about not only the game, but about the comics as well. And so they can weigh in with their own thoughts about, oh, this this may have been true of this character in this one run, but this feels more true to the character, and, and we'd like to see something more in this direction. And that's that's really what happened with Psylocke, and I think the character ended up all the better for it. That's really cool to hear, and I definitely feel that in terms of like reading comics. comics there's mm-hmm. just no getting to all of it. When I first started in, I was just like, what do you mean I can't just start like at the beginning and <laughs> just like read a whole character story and then crossover events and have to go back and read a whole other line? Uh, no, it's I can imagine it's a lot of work really researching and diving into those characters. So it's appreciated. I love seeing that come through. Yeah, and that's that's another practical reason that heroes are a snapshot in time is just that there is such a breadth of history to these characters and there are so many writers who have worked on them and so many different artists who have worked on them that they have changed a lot over time. And so really you have it's hard to know where to start and mm-hmm. what version of the hero to pick. And so 
in order for us to have a cohesive feeling character, we kind of have to narrow it down to generally the, the best known version of this character or the most popular series or book that this character was in mm -hmm. and, and go off of that. So you just talked about uh, balancing like fun factor, faithfulness, and gameplay. There was another question about balance. So how do you balance complicated with difficult? This user said that they find complicated scenarios to be more difficult just because they have to remember and think mm -hmm. about more things. But do you have any thoughts on complexity versus difficulty? Yeah, overall, our goal is to really keep the complexity down as much as possible, keep the game very accessible and also just relaxing uh to play where uh early on um nate french and i we had a conversation where he he described it as as not being too beard strokey was kind of the the phrase he used like you know people will often stroke their beard and stare at a chessboard as they you know think about their next move and consider all the options and we didn't want marvel champions to be that we wanted it to be very fast-paced <laughs> I took that personally. <laughs> As an admitted beard stroker, I took that personally. <laughs> I think there's still a lot of room in champions for beard stroking for people who want, but it, it is a yeah. challenge because I think sometimes, yeah. especially with scenario design, that's that's where I think it's the most challenging for us as designers is we want to really differentiate each scenario so that none of them feel too similar, um, you know, to, to justify why am I playing Sandman instead of just playing Rhino again, right? Like, it, it has to be because they offer two different experiences. Mm -hmm. um, now, the, the easiest way to make something different is to add, you know, these new layers to it, but that's complexity, right? So the, the tricky balance is making it different somehow without adding too many new bells and whistles that, and all this unnecessary complexity. Um, and I think in general, when we approach a yep. box, uh, of five new scenarios, we kind of allow ourselves, you know, Hey, maybe this one will be a little more complex, you know, just so we can make it do what we want it to do. Um, but that's just one out of the five and the others will be less complex. Like with mutant Genesis, like the Magneto scenario is admittedly a little more complex you know, than maybe your average scenario because of the story that I'm trying to tell that, that you are racing to, to board Asteroid M and, and sabotage Master Mold. And you're trying to do all these things as Magneto's doing his thing. And, and so there's, there's a little bit more going on there. Whereas like Master Mold, that's basically like playing whack-a-mole. Can I, can I destroy Master Mold faster than he's pumping out Sentinels? There's, there's not too much complexity there. Um, so in general, like, I hear you. I hear that comment, right? Like, I really respect that, that we do not want to, to make Marvel Champions a chore to play. It should never be a chore to play where you just mentally burnt out at the end of it, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it is, it is a challenge. Yeah. And, and, speaking, and speaking of kind of doing, allowing a little variation in complexity, when we do that, we tend to try to put that at the end of the campaign because we have to assume that any campaign box is a player's first campaign box. And so we want to start them out in the shallow end of the pool and have them work their way toward the deeper end. 
Yeah. That's uh it's interesting to to kind of just hear that uh of how you are you know approaching it with complexity because I, I know there's a lot of relatively similar scenario like characters you know you have bruisers like rhino or venom and it's crazy how you know a couple one or two cards can make them feel totally unique without adding a ton of complexity uh so it's it's fun to see those designs come across and uh and i'd have to say in terms of the box uh, like kind of starting on the less complex item building uh, that's fun for me because I love, I think some of those first scenarios are some of my favorites, but I really love that progression through the campaign of feeling the scenarios kind of build. And Magneto in particular was like such a good end to a box. Loved it. Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. Thank you. Um, yeah, it occurs to me as we're talking about complexity as well that it makes a difference whether you are playing these scenarios as standalone uh games or if you're playing as part of campaign Mm -hmm. mode as well uh and i would just encourage anyone who feels like you know boy there's there's just a lot going on a lot to keep track of like just play standalone um and don't worry that you're missing out on something because uh for me personally sometimes i find standalone is my preferred way to play um the campaign is definitely a vital part of the game and it's there for people who want that progression um you know, and those consequences to carry over from game to game. But I initially got excited about Marvel Champions because it was something I could just get to the table really fast and then invite my friends to say, uh, you know, come fight Claw with me. Let's let's take on Ultron real quick. Uh, and there wasn't any, like, baggage or overhead of, like, well, first I got to find all my campaign cards and I got to do all this other stuff. It was just, let's get right to it. So if if, if people feel ever like a little overwhelmed or whatever i encourage you um just put campaign mode aside and just uh you know take on your favorite villain uh just straight up nice that's a good suggestion uh i love standalone as well it's just fun to jump around and you know random kind of hero of the week style plays it's great Mm -hmm. uh so this one's jumping back a little bit to when you were talking about um that balance between fun factor and gameplay when you're designing hero and villain scenarios and considering all of that balance, how is it that you actually decide when a hero or villain is done? Oh boy, that, that is a good question. Um, and I, I'm going to say right now that uh, the game design is, is absolutely as much an art form as it is a science. And so there's a lot of subjectivity in the answer to that question, there is definitely just a, a feeling. If you can imagine, um, how does a band, like my favorite Pearl Jam's Pearl Jam, like how do they know when, when a song is done, right? Like how do they know when, when it doesn't need any more work? Um, and I imagine it's, there's a feeling, right, of like this just feels good. This feels like it's doing what we want it to do. And so for me, there's a lot of that with heroes and villains of, I kind of have an idea of what I want this hero to be able to do, what I want the scenario to feel like. And it, it can be very subjective of just, yeah, this feels like the experience that I was setting out to create. Um, and, and I could keep trying to needle at it, but I, I don't think at this point I'm getting diminishing returns on that effort. So I'm just going to call it good and I'm satisfied with it. 
don't know, Tony, I'm, I'm curious what, what you think about that, because you and I sometimes have slightly different approaches. Yeah, my, my first gut reaction was to say when my deadline hits. Because <laughs> <laughs> as you say, basically, uh, design is very much an art form. And so you could keep working on something indefinitely and, and never have it be perfect. But just kind of as a practicality, at some point, you got to say, this feels good in the state it's in. I don't think messing with it any further is going to get me any significant uh, improvements to it. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm satisfied with where this is. Um, and, and from a practical standpoint, there does come that time in, in your playtesting when your, your testers have limited time left to work on something. And so you really have to make a judgment call what what needs the most attention right now? What am I still not feeling super comfortable with? And and that is it's just really a, a judgment call. You you play the thing yourself. You see what kind of feelings and emotions you have as you are playing it. Uh, ideally, you observe play testers playing the scenario and and listen to the discussions that they have in between it and really try to pick up on those off-the-cuff comments like, oh, that feels bad, or yuck, I hate seeing this card, and then trying to make changes to those things that make them feel better. I think you hinted at the scientific side of it there with, with the process, right? That's the, there's um, kind of a consensus then, right, among our playtesters where you're balancing your experience uh, with theirs and and taking their feedback into account. And I think in general, um, with each set, it kind of reaches a point where, where testers, they kind of just start saying, you know, this feels good. Like, I don't, I don't think there's a lot more to do on this one anymore. Um, and, and it's, that's very gratifying when like, that's your opinion too. And you go, okay, well, if we're all kind of in agreement, then I think we're ready to move on. Some more design questions here. Um, what is a problem in design that you've encountered um, that you are most proud of finding a solution to? And, and what was that solution? For me, I'll just go back to the Psylocke design and talking about how it wasn't feeling true to the character and, and having to make the call that I just need to do and I just need to take a fresh fresh pass on this. I need to to try again almost from scratch. Um a lot of like card names and things stayed the same because we had we had commissioned artwork at that point and so I was a little bit uh restricted on that and that's that's a practical uh restriction that I think a lot of people don't think about is when we're designing a wave we we start the art on that very early because the artists need time uh, we, we only have so many artists, so we have to do things in, in batches of art. And so we have to allow enough time that our artists have the time they need to get all the artwork that we need done. And so things, we may commission an art piece early on that we end up totally changing the design of that part. And so we either have to find some something from a comic book that we can use in its place, or we have to Try to find a way to make that card work with the artwork that we have um and so coming up with uh a solution to the psylocke problem is probably the biggest 
roadblock I've had in working on Marvel Champions to this point. That's a great answer. You did a really good job with Psylocke, too. Um, it's hard for me to come up with as, as great an answer as that. So I actually have, I have two, because one, one's a little bit of a tease. Uh, and that is um, the, the next product that I've done in the X-Men wave. Um, I can't talk about details because it hasn't been announced, but I wanted to really try something different with the campaign mode. Um, so I can't go into details, but what I can say is that I spent an extra amount of time in the campaign mode, and what I did at first just didn't pan out. Um, and there was a lot of time I'd put into it. Um, and and so I had to I had to pivot and find a solution um, while we were already in playtesting. And really proud of what we uh, what we came up with. So there's a little bit of a tease there, something to get excited about that the, you know, that, that next campaign, I'm, I'm excited to see what people think of it because uh, that was probably, well, not probably, that was easily the biggest hurdle I had to overcome uh, working on the line. But since that's just a tease and kind of neither here nor there, uh, I will say um, of release product, I would say that Rogue was the most difficult nut to crack because her power set is so unique from everyone else's. And trying to figure out a way to represent how are we borrowing powers from other players uh, or other characters with Rogue. Like, what does it mean to, for her to, to borrow powers from a minion or an ally or a villain or even another hero? And um, that, that took some doing to figure that one out. I'm really happy with how it ended up. So um, that, that would probably be the one that I can talk about the best. Well, that's fun to hear that you... Uh... Like Rogue, Rogue. Well, I, I should say just like from the get go, X Men have never been my favorite comics or shows. But I, so I was kind of dreading coming into this, knowing that we're just getting so many X Men in a row, and it has been a lot of fun seeing the designs that have come out. And like, I've been so excited for these waves. And Rogue was a lot of fun to play with all of her kind of deck building hooks to draw in, and I am. Oh man, I am thrilled about this uh, X Force wave because I think Domino looks like she's going to be like top of the line for me. So mm-hmm. I think you guys have done great overcoming some of these problems and bringing out some really fun designs for the player base. Cool. Thank you. That's, that's great to hear. Um, so, talking about design, just as like a more comparison point. Uh, Tony, you came from a board game background, doing games like yeah. Star Wars Outer Rim and Unfathomable. And mm-hmm. Caleb, you did uh, the Lord of the Rings card game, the collectible card game, or sorry, the living card game there. And even while designing Marvel Champions, you did the Star Wars deck building game. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there, like, comparing your experience, uh, how does designing for Marvel Champions kind of differ from your experiment, experiences working with other games? Sure, I'll, I'll jump in here first. Um, we, we'd already talked about kind of the schedule being one of the main differences. The fact that working on a game line like uh, Marvel Champions means you're, you're constantly moving from one product to another to another. Every time you finish one, you, you know that there's going to be another one coming up after it. Um, when I was on, working on the board game side, 
Um, there was uh, less certainty of what my next project was going to be. Um, it really came down to what what game does the studio want to make now and who has the availability to make it. Um, and so I worked, ended up working on a bunch of different game lines uh, while I was on the board game side. Um, and so having that variety is nice, um, but uh, I really enjoy having working on a game that I, I love playing where versus maybe being assigned to do an expansion for something that maybe I'm not as enthused about. It's, it's not my style of game. Um, so they, they're different in that way. Um, another difference that really hit me hard when I started on Marvel Champions is just the volume of artwork that a card game needs. Um, I even working on something like Imperial Assault, which has a bunch of cards, but also minis and, and tiles and things. It was just not even close to uh, what I've what I've had to come up with for for Marvel Champions. And so I, I would often enlist Caleb and, and Michael Boggs in helping me write art briefs just so I could keep up uh, with all of the uh, the art requirements that were needed for for this game. Yeah, you just you just finished some some art briefs recently in your workflow, didn't you? It's fresh on your mind. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it is yep. uh I, I think it's one of those things too, like when the, the first couple of times you write art briefs, you know, it's it's like you're so involved, like each art brief that you write is a masterpiece and uh <laughs> you put so much thought into it, you know. And then uh and then you get to be where I am, you know, I've been I've been doing this for eleven years now and it's just like it just churning out art briefs because you know at some point like the artist is gonna do what they're gonna do. You just need to give them the essentials and the art and the art directors do a great job of making sure it turns out the right way. Because I I used to do that when writing writing art briefs for Lord of the Rings at first was just this daunting like oh it needs to be authentic and I need to get it right and eventually you you write a hundred different orc enemy art briefs <laughs> and, and and you just start going. Uh, an orc running at you with an axe, an orc running at you with a spear. <laughs> you know, just start, <laughs> you just start changing minor details. And, um, yep. So, oh, I totally lost the question because I was enjoying your answer so much. Um, what are, what are we uh, answering? How uh, so? How does designing for Marvel Champions differ from your experiences working with other games? Oh yeah, so there I started to touch on it working on Lord of the Rings. Um, so yeah, my career it has this kind of interesting journey of like the most complicated game that I've worked on was the first one that I worked on with with Lord of the Rings. I absolutely love that game, um, but it has a steep learning curve. And um, even at the time that I came in, relatively early in its life, there were already some pretty involved scenario designs, some really intricate ideas, and and I loved that. Um, that's really what I was into at the time, personally. I, the, the more intricate, the better. The more it could create that sense of immersion by making me feel like I'm, you know, actually doing what's happening in the adventure. And uh, and then I, over time, began to realize, like, boy, there's a fine line between intricate and exhausting. And I've probably wandered too far into the exhausting a couple of times with my designs where I maybe got a little carried away because I got really excited about an idea and kind of you can you can sit on this side of the computer screen 
looking at the the files and imagining how great it will be and and it's easy if you're not playtesting regularly to lose sight of what it feels like to be on the other side sitting at the table with the cards and so one of the smartest things i ever did was started a weekly thursday night playtest that ran for years and so that really helped me to stay grounded and say okay i need to start to ease up on the complexity and keep that experience in mind and so that's we brought that champions where it was like if lord of the rings is up here being this um intricate and involved we want to make champions a little closer to the ground more accessible a little easier to play um where it's it's you know less bandwidth is necessary to keep track of what's going on and then uh then you mentioned the deck building game i made and that was like a step further even of like make this as beginner friendly as possible and and as quick to pick up like i want to be able to learn this game and start playing in like five minutes or less um and so that's 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 kind of been fun for me is is uh just learning personally the value of simplicity um and and trying to shift my focus from like how clever i can be to more of an end user experience and and what is what are the the people who are playing getting out of it um seems like a natural thing to think about but it's amazing when you when you first start in this business you know uh without a lot of formal training everyone kind of brings their own stuff to the table but we, i think we all eventually get there that is really neat uh to hear because like <clears throat> i imagine as you're designing it it's hard to let go of like something an idea or a mechanic you're really latched onto that you're like you're excited about uh and having to maybe temper that in consideration of the players uh i bet that could be pretty tough yeah absolutely i mean when when it's like stuff you're really passionate about like i love lord of the rings like aragorn's my boy you know and then you get a chance to design an aragorn hero the temptation there is to have him do everything you know because he's aragorn uh, and then, you know, you realize that's not good design, though. Like, good design is making a version of Aragorn who does this one thing, you know, that just does it really well in a really flavorful way, and uh, and then becoming comfortable with that, you know. Um, that, that, I think, is is a hard lesson, um, but it's it's essential to good game design. Speaking of like uh, unreleased concepts, have I know it's been discussed before that there was originally like a fifth aspect called determination. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had any thoughts about adding an aspect or bringing determination back to the game, or is that something that sort of gets worked into the rest of the pool? Right. No, I, I, you know, you never say never in this business, but uh, it seems the odds are very slim that we would add another aspect because the as you say, it was there at the beginning, and we ultimately cut it for a good reason. So knowing that that we had already conceived of a fifth aspect, and and then as a team, because it wasn't an outside decision, that was a decision that you know uh, Boggs and Nate and I made together. We determined that this aspect is basically just borrowing ideas from other aspects. It, it didn't feel unique enough to itself. Um, that it, it just wasn't bringing anything uh, truly new to the table that wasn't already kind of covered 
by the other aspects. And so what we did is we took some of our favorite ideas from determination and then put them into the aspects that they belonged in. So you can see that with, um, like, uh, uh, Boggs made the aggression card toe-to-toe, where it's, I, I believe it's like the villain attacks you and then you deal five damage to the villain. Like, that was a determination card. The, the the definition of determination was like I'll do anything to get the job done I'll 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 take punishment in order to gain an advantage but we looked at that card and went you know that's really just an aggression card um and and I think we have others now like I believe justice has something that will like put a side scheme into play in order to gain advantage uh, Tony maybe you made that card uh no that was uh you remember what that is that was Galaxy's Most Wanted I think. One way or another. Oh gosh, is it that yeah. old? Gosh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> it all blends together. That's another box card. Yeah, yeah. We like. I love those designs, right? Of like high risk, high reward. That was kind of what determination was about. But we realized what they were doing was really stepping all over the toes of the other four aspects. So we just folded those ideas into the aspect that it belonged with. Yeah. And yeah, an aspect really needs to have its own identity in order for it to, in order for it to feel necessary to the game. And so, if we were to do another aspect, it would really need to have its own identity that it could make it stand on its own. Mm-hmm. I'm really proud of the four we have. I feel like they really cover all the bases yeah. of of what the game needs. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think it's fun seeing those determination or. or concepts come out in the acts in the aspects because uh toe-to-toe is one of my favorite cards and i mm-hmm. like just like that risk reward of you know using it to take out kind of a wimpy minion that's punching you or to risk a villain attack is a lot of fun and uh i know there's an upcoming card for aggression uh in i think it's x23 that's coming out uh that feels very determination-y the now i'm mad card where if your hit points are below half, you get a boosted attack and a lower mm-hmm. thwart. That's like just a very, mm-hmm. a very Hulk card, and I love it. <laughs> um, so uh, we have just a few more questions, and so uh, I think we could tackle them like as a speed round. Uh, so maybe we'll, we'll just uh, ask the designers one at a time, um, running through them. You guys can do some short answers on these. Uh, but let's go ahead and start with Tony. Uh, so what hero designed by someone else do you most wish you designed? Um, so I'm I'm not sure if this question is asking which hero do I wish I could take credit for or which one do I think I can do my own version of. Um, and and maybe in both cases, I might say Wolverine. Uh, he's He's an awesome design and I really love the way he turned out. Um, and I did, to some extent, get a chance to uh, make my own Wolverine with X-23. And so being able to design her after Caleb had designed Wolverine was a lot of fun. And and it was its own unique challenge in figuring out how to make her feel sufficiently different from Wolverine. Oh, I am excited for X-23. So um, we'll see how uh, they, they look very different and unique. So you guys did great there. Uh, what is your favorite interaction between a hero's kit and an aspect-specific card? Oh man, that is that is a tough one. Um, uh, 
I guess I will mention that some of the justice cards that I designed for Domino's pack, I, I designed specifically to work with her mechanic of discarding from the top of the deck. Um, but I wanted to do so in a way that made sense with other heroes, that it didn't feel like it was just another Domino card, but outside of her aspect. And so somebody like uh, the two the two allies, Wolfsbane and Feral, uh, both have abilities that are good for any hero, but are just a little bit better for Domino. Nice. Uh, which hero and or scenario do you think has the most thematically creative mechanics? Uh, hmm. That's another tough one. I feel like there's so many great designs in this game. Um, what I was thinking about recently was the the Project Wide Awake scenario with the Sentinels, and and I just love the mutants at the mall side scheme. Getting Jubilee as your ally <laughs> just feels so much like that that first episode of the X Men cartoons. That it's it's perfect. Um, and going, I love that answer, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> and and just. Going back to uh, Caleb was talking about Rogue before, I think the solution he found for trying to capture her skill set in this game was just chef's kiss, just great. I, I, I'm really happy with how she turned out. Nice. Um, so who would you like to see in the game that isn't already in it? Uh, I've mentioned this character before. I'd love to do a squirrel girl hero. Uh, I already have yeah. some ideas about what kind of mechanics I might put into her kit. And I really love the the wacky off-the-wall type of characters because they allow me to do wacky and off-the-wall stuff in their designs. Uh, so I would love to do a squirrel girl hero. Well, I would be here for that. I just want to have that <laughs> squirrel girl versus Thanos matchup. Get that classic her standing over Thanos comic image. <laughs> yep. As long as we get tippy toe, right? Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, so uh, what is your favorite aspect to design for and why? That's another tough one. It's like choosing between children. Um, uh, <laughs> if I had to pick one, I'd probably say protection. Because I really enjoy it as a a support uh, support aspect, and um, Caleb has told me multiple times, going back to the design of the game, that uh, that Nate French was was always saying, "Why would I ever defend? What is the point of defending?" And so <laughs> I love coming up with new and creative ways to to prove Nate wrong that defending is is pointless. <laughs> Uh, protection is my favorite aspect, so I love hearing that. Uh, it is so much fun to play. Yeah, Nate famously said he would rather die than defend. <laughs> and uh, we played a playtest game early on, me and Boggs and Nate, and it came down to, like, we were going to defeat the villain on the next turn. We just had to survive. And Nate drew, a, like, an assault for an extra attack, and he could have defended and survived to win the game, but instead he, he was true to his word. <laughs> oh man, that is, that's funny. Oh man, 
That's classic Nate. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so Tony, what is your favorite hero and or scenario to play? Um, a hero I often find myself going back to is Ironheart. I just love her leveling up mechanic. It feels it's it's such a fun little mini game trying to get those those killing blows and those final thwarts to get the extra experience is just so much fun and and when you get to that level three that version three of her hero you just feel unstoppable um as for a scenario um like there's so many good ones in this game it's hard to pick one um so i'll just go back to the one i mentioned before with project wide awake i i really enjoy the feeling of that's that sentinel scenario and and how they're trying to capture my allies and and round them up uh and uh, I'm, I'm i'm not one who ever chump blocks like i i like using my allies to their full extent and, and not chump blocking so it's not as threatening to me but I love how it does punish those people who just throw away their allies as if they have no care in the world. <laughs> oh, see, there's protection there, helping you out. Keep your yeah, allies on the yeah. board. <laughs> um, so then to close out the list for you, uh, what Marvel Champions gameplay of achievements do you personally have that you wish to humble brag about? Hmm. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't really have anything specific in mind, but I will, I will mention uh, one down to the wire finish that my game group and I recently had. We were playing Spiral and on on Expert and had had a couple of a couple of defeats, and so we were feeling a bit frustrated. Uh, and she had, I want to say, she had both sets of her swords out, and so she was like swinging for god awful amounts of damage. And I was playing Gambit. I was down to one hit point left when I got a when I got a gunslinger out of the encounter deck. And the gunslinger has quick strike. And I only had one lightning, one energy resource in my hand, so I couldn't take him out before he took me out. Uh, but and and had he defeated me, my um uh my under surveillance that I had attached to the main scheme was the only thing keeping us from losing the scheme. So if I was defeated under surveillance leads, everybody loses. Uh, but fortunately, my my friend still was ready with Rogue and was able to defend that attack. And we managed to eke out that victory over Spiral. Oh, that sounds like a fun, fun match. Yeah. Okay, so jumping over to Caleb, we're going to go through the same questions, just doing that speed round again. Uh, so Caleb, what hero designed by someone else do you most wish you designed? Oh gosh, you know, I should have I should have been taking notes while Tony was answering his questions. I was over here going, man, I'm glad he's not asking me that because I don't know the answers to these questions. <laughs> <laughs> what hero designed by someone else? Oh gosh, because there's so many good ones, it's hard to... It's hard to choose. Um, I I like Archangel a lot. That's just that's just a really fun design. Um, the 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 triform different from Ant Man and Wasp though, right? That it's uh, changing between Angel and Archangel. Uh, that was something Tony and I kind of talked about early on, where I started to get excited. Same with Cable. Actually, these were these were both heroes that like I was like, oh, that's a great idea. That'd be so much fun, man. I could imagine how I do that and. Uh, 
And Tony's kind of like, well, would it be okay if I design my set? You know, <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. You should, I should, I'm busy over here. I should let you do it. And they just turned out great. You know, they just, they're just awesome. Oh man. Yeah. This, this whole wave is looking awesome. So, uh, so Caleb, what is your favorite interaction between a hero's kit and an aspect specific card? Hero kit aspect. That, that was the one I was like, oh, I could answer that one. Cause, uh, yeah, that's that's Cyclops and and created the whole suite of of tactic uh, upgrades that attach to minions, so that uh, you know he's got different options in the different aspects. So I um, I can't remember the names of them right now off the top of my head. The the leadership one, the tactics one, but I I do really enjoy you know just just searching those cards out in alter ego form and then switching to hero form and blasting the you know a minion with an optic blast. That's always fun. Nice. Pinned down is one of my favorite cards in the set. And so that was like a perfect card for Cyclops. Yeah, that's the minus two attack, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I use that card in so many decks. Cause, you know, I love the art on that. That's, that's one of those we were talking about art earlier where you get, um, you know, pickup art. And sometimes you just find the perfect image and Rockslide's Rock got someone like in a headlock. It's just perfect for pin down. Makes me happy. Oh, such a great card. Uh, okay, so which hero and or scenario do you think has the most thematically creative mechanics? Oh, shoot. Yeah, the first thing I thought of was one of mine, so now it sounds like I'm bragging on myself. But uh, I I like Hela. You know, just the, the uh, mostly what I like about Hela is the reaction uh, to Hela from the fans. Uh, we wanted to do something different. You know, that, that felt more like going on a quest than necessarily just getting into a fight with a villain. And we weren't really sure how people would respond to that, you know, because the game really is mostly about fighting villains. Uh, but everyone was so excited, you know, about the, the journey that they went on in that scenario that I was like, wow, we're really onto something here. I'm going to need to do kind of more stuff like this in the future, I think. And so that informed like Magneto's design as well. You know, trying to put a little more story into a little more journey uh, of what are the heroes trying to do besides just defeat the villain. Uh, that is, yeah. Having that progression, that quest feel was really cool to bring in. Um, it, because anyway, in Galaxy's Most Wanted, we had kind of a similar-ish one that kind of hinted toward it with Escape mm-hmm. the Museum. And then Hella just knocked it out of the park and uh, loved that scenario. Um, cool. Okay, so uh, Caleb, who would you like to see in the game that isn't already in it? Um, I, there's a lot of street-level heroes that I'd like to see. I know a lot of people want to see Daredevil. I think we'd also like to see, you know, like Moon Knight or Ghost Rider. You know, a lot of those characters I think would be would be really cool to see. Awesome. Do you think people want those? I, I got the impression they weren't really excited for those kind of heroes. <laughs> you know, I was I was a little sad when when X Men were announced because it felt like until X Men were announced, uh, every new set we released or announced, they'd be like, "When are the X Men coming?" Right. So I felt like, okay, we're announcing the X Men finally. Everyone's going to be really excited. And then the moment we announce the X Men, they're like, "When is Daredevil coming?" <laughs> I was like, "Come on, guys. Yep. Just." Just be happy for one minute, please. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I know a lot of people are excited X-Men came into the game, but uh, 
Daredevil is on a lot of art, constantly reminding us he's mm-hmm. not quite here yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, Caleb, what is your favorite aspect to design for, and why? Uh, I think I find myself doing a lot of cool leadership stuff. Not necessarily because leadership is my favorite aspect, but it just uh, there's something about it that appeals to me. Um, so now, yeah, now again, I'm thinking of unreleased stuff that I've designed that I'm really excited about. And I'm sorry to just keep teasing because it's going to be a while before it makes it out. But um, I just find that you know something about leadership and, and interacting with allies in unique ways, uh, it just it, it, it sparks a lot of creativity for me. Nice. Uh, what is your favorite hero and or scenario to play? Favorite hero is it's generally a toss-up between Cyclops and Captain America. Um, I, I really love throwing that shield. I've been doing it for years. I'm still not tired of it. Um, or zapping bad guys with an optic blast. Favorite scenario? Um, I feel like uh, Master Mold is, is fun for me just because um, it's straightforward. Sometimes, like, like I was talking about earlier, sometimes I just want to play, uh, I don't want to play campaign mode. I just want to jump into a, a fight. And I love how every time you go to Alter Ego to recover, he builds another Sentinel. And so you know, like, gosh, I need to recover, but that means I'm going to have to fight another minion. I just have to hope it's not a really big one. And you're like, oh, no, it's, it's the eight hit point one. We're doomed. You know, <laughs> like, I just, I love the pressure and the, the, the immediacy of that scenario. Um, but I feel like it's poor taste to always answer with like my stuff. Um, oh no! Feel free to toot your own horn because uh, those are some great designs. <laughs> I appreciate it. I do. I do really enjoy though, like the stuff that Tony and Boggs are doing too. Like I think the Sinister Six. Uh, that's a brilliant scenario. Um, when we were talking about Hella a second ago and and storytelling and stuff, that was another one that came to mind. I really enjoy. That you don't win that scenario by defeating the villain. You have to escape this ambush, and they just keep teaming up with you. And my, that uh, if we're gonna get to cards, I wish I had designed. I, I wish I had designed the treacheries in that set because Box came up with the best card names and abilities, like the for all the different Sinister Six team ups, right? Like uh, my favorite is like the frequent flyers, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like the the Sinister <laughs> Six with Ariel, you know. And it, <laughs> well, and I wish I could remember the other ones off the top of my head because they're all amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I wish uh, I wish I had come up with some of those names and some of those fun concepts. <laughs> Man, those are I, I really loved uh, all of Sinister Motives that, but uh, Sinister Six was a lot of fun having that kind of uh, back and forth, seeing these different mm-hmm. villains pop up. Uh, so to close it out, Caleb, uh, what Marvel Champions gameplay achievements do you personally have that you wish to humble brag about? Um, this one I, I can't really take all the, the, the credit for because it was, uh, it was Gen Con last year. And, and my memory being what it is, I can't remember the gentleman that I was playing with, but he let me borrow his, uh, his Venom deck. And I just had a great time with it because turn one, I had the symbiote suit. So turn one, I played Symbiote Suit, um, and I just spent the rest of the game just just wrecking stuff. It was it was amazing. It was it was an extra encounter card 
from turn one of the game, and and we just mopped the floor with uh, with the villain because uh, Venom was doing so much work. That was a lot of fun. Oh man, I love uh, that <laughs> the suit. Mm-hmm. Like I think it was a great way to incorporate into the campaign, and uh, to see some of the other players get slightly annoyed when you play it so early in the game. <laughs> no, it was great. It was yeah, we had this moment where I said, like, okay, I got it, but it's turn one. Like, should I play it? And uh, and I think maybe it's this, like, I'm playing with the designer. I can't tell him what to do, because he was like, well, whatever you want to do, kind of thing. I don't know. Uh, but I was like, well, then I'm going to do it, because that just seems like way too much fun. And uh, and it really was. So, uh, again, sorry I can't remember the gentleman's name right now, but but big props, because that deck was the deck that he had customized was a ton of fun to play. Oh man, that sounds like a lot of fun. Well, awesome. um, that wraps up all of the questions that we had in our list. Yeah, we made it through everything in about an hour and a half. So good job, team. Nice. Well, this was fun. Mm-hmm. Is there any any other uh, closing remarks? Any other designers want to leave for the, the community that's that's loving your uh, game? Thanks for all the questions and all the interest in the game. And uh, I hope you guys continue to stay interested. I think uh, people have a lot to look forward to with uh, the next Evolution Wave. Tony really did a fantastic job with that box. I know I know Boggs did like a little bit of work at the beginning, um, but Tony really carried it through to the end. And uh, yeah, you guys are in for a treat. Yeah, I'm really excited for everyone to get Next Evolution in their hands. I, I do want to, to give Michael Boggs, excuse me, Michael Boggs credit for he did some excellent initial designs on on several scenarios and several heroes. And so, uh, even though I, I took it across the finish line, a lot of his uh, blood, sweat, and tears went into that. And I think everybody's going to be really uh, going to be really excited to have that in hand. And I I can't wait to hear everybody's feedback on it. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on and answering questions. And thanks to Darren for running the show while my children pester me <laughs> in the background. So that was perfect. Well, hopefully thanks everybody for uh, gets, hosting us. Yeah, every, hopefully everybody gets the chance to try out the the demo scenario at Gen Con because that's just, it seems like it's further away, but it's it's less mm-hmm. than a month. So it's coming up. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Caleb and I will both be there. So if anybody wants to stop by and say hi, please do so. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to Marvel Champions Monthly. If you liked this content, be sure to like, subscribe, or leave a comment on the video, letting us know what else you would love to see from the world of Marvel Champions. You can also join us on our Discord, or support our work on Patreon in the links in the description below.